0: Well, we've hit the quarter pole of the 2011 NFL season, and we're down to only two undefeated teams, both from the same division. We're also seeing some popular preseason favorites watching postseason hopes vanish. Welcome to the latest episode of the Coach's Show podcast. Brian Billick here, as always, with Jim Mora. And coach, let's look back at week four and ahead to week five from a coach's perspective. A reminder to all you listening, download the Coach's Show podcast from iTunes or go to nfl.com slash podcast. The Coach's Show podcast is also on the NFL Network Mondays at 6.30. The Coach's Show, presented by Bud Light, a sure sign of the good times. Let's go. Jim, you had the game, Uh, Philadelphia, uh, or I should say San Francisco at Philadelphia. This is a fascinating situation we find ourselves in with Philadelphia. I'm, I'm interested in your observations, having been there, about what's going on in Philadelphia.
1: Well, I think the problem with Philadelphia is they can't stop anybody. You know, they can move the ball well. They moved the ball well yesterday. They, they needed to be better in the red zone, but San Francisco's a good red zone defense. Uh, they missed a couple field goals that could have made a difference in the game, and they were not hard field goals, not long field goals. The, the story in Philadelphia for me is the way they're playing defense or not playing defense. They, uh, they look to be structurally unsound to me right now, and um, they've got a lot of talent, but that talent seems to be concentrated either up front or in the back end. And uh, they have a voided linebacker.
0: I, I, Jim, I agree with you. I had him to start the season, and it seems to me that you've got three distinct units. You have a front four that loves these wide nine rushers that Jim Washburn loves, and you got some good guys with Cole and Babin coming off the edge. But that also, as you know, as a defensive coordinator now, that leaves some big, wide gaps for what is now a very young, inexperienced linebacking core. And you've got a really solid shutdown man coverage group of guys in the secondary, but they're not doing a lot of that. And I question that.
1: Yeah, well, they, they just, you know, they're they're playing a lot of zone back there. And they don't look like they are in, in uh, concert with each other in the way they're playing those zones. And so it's leaving some voids in their coverage. Another problem is they're tackling. You know, we can talk about scheme and all those things, but they're not tackling well. They've got a couple guys that really don't want to tackle. Asante Samuels doesn't want to tackle. And then they've got a couple guys that just don't look like they have the athletic ability to tackle um, in the secondary. Page, being the guy I'm talking about, the safety. And, and it's frustrating to watch them because they're a very talented football team, but defensively... They're just not doing the things that you need to do to be successful. I'm talking from a scheme standpoint and from an effort standpoint. Well, in
0: matching up your coverages, w- when I had them early, when you look at the physical body types and the coverage abilities of uh, Asante Samuel, uh, Dominic Rogers Cromartie, and and Namdi Asamoa, Cromartie and... Osama are big, long-legged guys that are good. Uh, you know, Osama clearly a shutdown corner. I don't know if I put Rogers Cromartie in that, but he's pretty good. But these are guys on the outside, you, the, the ideal guy to play in the nickel package, and, and they've got three good corners. Asante Samuel, but Asante Samuel's not going to go in there. He's not going to cover a nickel guy and be exposed with a three-way break, basketball and grass type of receivers that you see.
1: Well, I agree with you, and I think another problem is that they're moving those guys around so much. When you watch their games, you'll see Namdi playing right corner, left corner, nickel, and safety at times. And he's doing things that he's never done. And I think when you've got a guy as talented as he is, you put him on one side or one guy, and you say, okay, cover him. And he does it. But right now, he's always in a state of kind of being a step behind what he's supposed to be doing because he's moving around so much. And they're putting – you know, you'll see the same thing with Cromartie. You'll see him in the slot. You'll see him outside, you see him at safety. You'll see Samuel sometimes at safety. And so – You know, I've always believed, um, and you know, I coached defense for a long time in this league, that you, you try to put guys in the spots to, you know, maximize their skill level. But the thing you also want to do is allow them to play fast. And when you've got great talent like these guys are, and you overburden them with a mental aspect, you slow down their ability to react and to play fast, and and I think that's one of the things we're seeing as a problem in Philadelphia's secondary. When
0: you and I were talking before, you brought up what I thought was a fascinating point about going back to some of the old 49er concepts, coverage concepts with George Seifert. The, the curl to flat defender, also taking the sail route, the seam to sail, I think was the, the terms. Explain that a little bit. I think people would find it <laughs> fascinating to hear, hear exactly the, it, what, what some of these DBs are, are taught to do.
1: Well, there's a couple of different ways you can play a three deep zone. Is it we're talking about a three deep, four underneath zones where you've got three deep defenders and four guys defending the flats and the hooks and the curls underneath? Typically, there's defined it by five underneath zones. When you're playing a three deep zone, the one thing you always worry about is four vertical routes because you've got four vertical guys going against three deep defenders. They've got you out man. So the old 49ers used to have this concept called a sky call or a flat, flat call. And essentially what it meant is that the curl flat players, the guys that are responsible for the widest underneath zone, were going to take the second widest receiver on any vertical route, that being a seam, which is a vertical route right up the field, or a sail, which is a vertical route up the field that then goes out to the corner, to the sideline. And that meant that the hook player, the guy that was responsible for the third inside zone, had to take anything from the backfield out to the flat. And it was always very confusing and difficult for the players, and it was something that they really had to work through. We were able to do it because we had Kenny Norton and Tim McDonald who had played together forever. And they had off-seasons and they had training camps and they had mini-camps in which to work through these things. And it was kind of the only thing we did. So they, they became pretty good at it. But you're looking at a situation now where not only are you dealing with new players in a new scheme, but you're asking them to do some things that they've never done before without an offseason to work through some of the issues that come up when you're playing this technique. And I think that that is really causing problems for the Eagles. I think it's very evident when you look at the play two weeks ago that Brandon Jacobs scored on where he was wide open down the sideline. Well, that was a three-deep zone. So typically your curl flat player should have taken that. But they cleared out the flat mm-hmm. by going vertical with number two and number three ran the flatten up. And there was no one on him.
0: Well, I got to tell you, if I'm a DB and I got curled a flat, but I got to take number two on the seam. Or the sale. But I have the sail, but the wheel rattles something I got. Now, uh, if number I'm, two
1: goes inside right now, you got to take the flat.
0: <laughs> I'm coming in saying, Coach, you're not paying me enough. Yeah. <laughs> you got to pay me a whole lot more money. Well, it's
1: There's a the... little bit, you know, and, and it, it, without piling on, on Juan Castillo, you know, who's taking a lot of heat. Yeah.
0: Defensive coordinator for Philly.
1: It's, it's kind of what he knew. And it's Johnny Lynn, who's their secondary coach, is kind of what he knew. But to be real, it's a little bit antiquated, you know. And given the fact that you didn't have an offseason, you've got all these new parts, uh, it's really a difficult thing to ask the players to do. And I think they need to take a hard look at that. I think when you've got great talent, when you've got guys that have quickness and speed and ball skills and can react to the ball and understand the game, you either put them in man-to-man and let them cover Or you put them into three deep, and you you understand that, hey, if they go four vertical, we have to react to it. But you at least allow your players to play fast.
0: Yeah, I got Philly at Buffalo this week. And to me, with what Buffalo can do, you got the assets on the back end. If I'm approaching it, and I'm not a defensive coach, but I'm going to cut it down to its simplest components. I'm going to take my good cover corners. I'm going to go man for man and see if I can sort out the front seven, maybe an eight man box, and, and you know, get some pressures that way and and stop the run. Let me ask this, coach, and we've been there before. We've both been head coaches. You've had to make changes sometimes. Andy Reid has an incredible loyalty to Juan Castillo, as he should, because Juan's a good coach. You brought it up before, and it's, it's the dreaded consultant's role. If they struggle against Buffalo, Short of letting a Juan Castillo go, we could see that. We could see him bringing someone in to help Juan.
1: I think think that that might be a possibility. Uh, Juan's a good man. You and I both know him very well, and we have a lot of respect for him. He's a good football coach. But right now it appears – to people that know this game, that they've got some issues on defense that they need to get addressed, and they're having trouble finding some answers to getting them addressed. I think that what you said, Brian, is right on, and it's what I think probably they need to do, and that's take the three cover corners that they've got that are very good cover guys and man them up and just play cat covers. You got that cat, I'll take this cat. Hey, man, you take that cat, and then take the other eight guys and figure out a way to stop the run, which you can do. All right, you, you can stop the run in this league with eight guys. It's, it's possible. It's actually probable. You should be able to do it. I'd get away from the three-deep stuff, and I'd go to more man. I'd play man, and I'd play two, and, and I'd come after the quarterback a little bit, although they don't need to do that because they've got a good four-man rush.
0: Yeah, and that's an asset for them, to have that ability with just uh, bringing guys from the outside. That gives you a lot of latitude. You ought to be able to piece it
1: together that you, way. You really should. It's, it's, a, it's a problem, Brian, that I think is easily solved. Uh, and I think they'll get it solved. I hope they get it solved quick because I hate to see Juan taking taking the the. Yeah, we the and we both not Sounds
0: like I'm sitting across from the perfect consultant. Maybe no, they... <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you can easy double to be dip a consultant huh? on
1: Monday morning. You know, <laughs> That's it's right. hard to be a consultant on on Wednesday, Thursday, yeah, Friday, Saturday, exactly especially right. Sunday.
0: Well, let, let's move on. Uh, we've got some interesting, some teams with some interesting dilemmas and anytime you say that it means okay they're in trouble <laughs> we use the, the euphemism interesting for oh boy they got a world of problems here the O and four minnesota vikings and, and and to me the vikings have fallen into the all too typical trap they've had a championship pedigree they were in the championship game two years ago they the quarter you know the well documented fall off of brett Favre, so they feel like they're a uh, if not a championship, a playoff-caliber team. They go get a veteran quarterback in Donovan McDabb. They bring him in, and, and it's just not there. This is a team, they draft a quarterback in Christian Ponder with the 12th draft, 12th pick of the draft, but they still think they're a good enough team to go to the playoffs, and they just aren't. The dilemma is, what do you do now at 0-4? What what direction can we go?
1: Well, I, I think that uh, you know, you and I had talked before we came on the air about Is it time to put Donovan McNabb on the bench and bring Christian Ponder in? Is it time to do that? And if you do that, are you telling everybody that, hey, we're giving up on this season? And I know that you have – a, a pretty strong opinion on
0: that. Yeah, I, and and this is not fair to Donovan because no. it's not Donovan's fault. It's Their issues Donovan. right now at 0-4 are not Donovan McNabb. But the difficulty you have when you've made that kind of mistake, in my opinion, and it's compounded, not that they made the wrong choice because Leslie Frazier's a good coach, interim coaches going forward has not been a good track record. And now you've got an interim coach that that kind of finished strong. They made a determination about this team, yet they drafted a guy with the 12th pick they would have been better off if i'm a if i'm in my first year of a coaching tenure and we took a quarterback let's go let's 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 build a team around him let's play the guy they didn't they went with Donovan McNabb i don't know how now you don't okay every game we don't play Christian Ponder now i know what that's going to cost us this year that may cost us next year i want Christian Ponder as ready to go in 2012 as i possibly can I think you have to make that move, and it's not fair to Donovan McNabb. And then bears the question, and I think it was a legitimate question on your part, Jim, is it fair to ask Donovan McNabb to sit on the bench and, and go through all this with you if indeed you make that change?
1: Yeah, that's my question. Is, you know I, I, I think in no way is this Donovan's fault. I mean, he's part of it. I mean, they're all to blame uh, a little bit. But uh, if you do put Christian Ponder on the field, how do you ask a guy like Donovan McNabb to stand on the sidelines or be on the bench or not take reps at practice? Are you better off just releasing him? And that is really difficult, and especially because Leslie Frazier and Donovan have a relationship that goes way, way back. But I do agree with you, Brian. I, think, I don't think it's fair to, to uh, Donovan, but I think it's time to go ahead and put Christian Ponder in there and see what he can do, uh, see if maybe he gives the team a spark, maybe he gives the fan base, the organization some hope uh, <laughs> because right now they don't have hope. And I, it's really interesting. You bring up the, the playing the rookie quarterback or the veteran quarterback, and there's three kind of different levels here. First of all, you've got Minnesota, like you said. They said, hey, we've got a chance to be a pretty good team. Let's We're going to draft a guy for the future, but let's bring Donovan McNabb in, and we're going to be okay, and it's not working for them. You have the Tennessee Titans, who maybe didn't think that they were a playoff team, but maybe on the cusp, they bring in Matt Hasselback after having drafted Jake Locker, and Matt's doing really well. Right. And then, and these are all three new coaches, too. And then you've got Carolina, who brings in Cam Newton. And, boy, they put him on the field. Now, they're struggling to win games, but they see the future is really bright with this guy. A lot
0: of ways to get it done. Yeah. And, and, and let's qualify it as well. We're talking about an 0-4 Minnesota Viking team that has to be that happens to be in the same division with the two NFC 4-0 teams. Exactly. So are you going to overtake them statistically? With odds would be no. Are you going to be a wild card team? Boy, you got to get on a heck of a run here. Not that you're going to throw off the season right now, but so maybe it is a little bit early, but the sooner you can get to Christian Ponder – Come to the opening of 2012, you'll be better off for it as a team. And it's not just putting Christian Ponder in. This team probably needs to be blown up in a lot of different ways in the offseason. They're getting older on the front seven. They're, they're secondary. They're off. And there's a lot of areas that need to be addressed. You've got your quarterback. You think. And we still don't know if Christian Ponder is worth, worthy of the problem. But you've got to find out going forward. And, and it's a tough position to be in when you're an interim head coach that had now taken over and there's still going to be those questions. All right, let's move on to another team that amazing game on Sunday night, Jim, you and I travel on Sunday nights coming back from our game. So we kind of pick up bits and pieces of it. I happened to get in a little bit earlier and saw the tail end of the New York jets, Baltimore Raven game. That was an amazing game. Uh, It was amazing. Obviously the returns, the fact that the Baltimore Ravens could have literally not stepped on the field offensively and won that game the way it came about. I was a little concerned about Mark Sanchez. At some point, for them to truly be a championship-caliber team, you know they're good on defense, although they have been hit pretty good now. Um, but Mark Sanchez is going to have to take that team on his shoulder a couple times during the season and maybe in the playoffs as well to be a championship-caliber team. And so far, um, you're seeing some signs that I don't know if he's up to that.
1: Well, he's been inconsistent. Uh, certainly has been inconsistent, and I think that's a very, a very fair observation. Now, I kind of like Sanchez. You know, I think he's a winner. I think he's always been a winner. I think he's gotten – he's been the – I shouldn't say he's gotten them to the AFC Championship two year, two years in a row because that wouldn't be accurate. He's been the quarterback of the team that's gotten to the AFC Championship the last two years. But I, I do think it's time for him to, to take a step and perform – really well in a really important game or a really big game and uh you know he did not play well last night and uh there's a lot of reasons for that but i i'm still a sanchez guy i still like mark i think he's tough-minded i think he's a tough physical guy i think he he is a competitor or a winner so i'm gonna hang in there with him yeah. i'm gonna hang in there with him i'm uh you know i'm i'm uh I'm kind of a Jets guy right now. You know, I know they're two and two. Yeah, they're a I, good football they're team. They're a good football team. Yeah,
0: you know, no one needs to back off the Jets and them being a capable team. But clearly, for them to get to the stated objective, and we're going to get there according to Rex Keep Ryan, we're going mean, to win the Super Bowl. It's going to take dynamic quarterback play, and doesn't and I, it always? Don't, don't it, it, it does? It, and that's does. where we are as a league. There's no question yeah. about it. They've got the defense to do it. They can run the ball. So I the think the
1: question is, can he? Is he going to be that guy? Is I think one of the
0: issues yet? for Mark Sanchez, and this goes more to structurally what they're doing, when I've seen them play, the Ravens in particular, yeah. and I again, I'm, I'm kind of uniquely qualified in seeing Very teams try to get yeah. ready for the Baltimore sure. Ravens. I think they're trying to do too much when they play the Ravens. I think they're trying to get – too, too, too many perfect play. You've got to just play fast and furious when you play the Ravens. Maybe you're not going to be in the right number count, but if you try to size up where Ed Reed is, try to get a number count, get too many checks in the system, you stymie your offense. You cannot play hesitant against the Ravens. When I've seen the Jets versus the Ravens, I think they might be asking Mark Sanchez to do a little too much thinking.
1: Is that is that an issue with the the offensive coaching staff? Maybe misdiagnosing what he's capable of oh, I
0: think it's more to do that that recognizing that what they're asking him to do what he's done at other times to do that against a Raven team that plays so fast and so furious that you may be putting him behind the eight ball a little bit maybe you just call and run some things and let him sort it out at that point uh, that would be my observation because I again i'm not I'm not giving up on Sanchez but they're probably going to see these Ravens again. So they're going to have to figure this out short of just don't turn the ball. That's tough to ask a quarterback. Look, just don't lose it for us. Oh, by the way, you may have to go out and win it for us Give me
1: some ways. Rather than just telling me not to lose it for us, give me some ways that that I can function better in the scheme of what we're trying to do.
0: Okay, let's transition within the same division. We're talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers now. Um, You know, again, it seems to be week to week. We made the observation – after they got blown up by the Baltimore Ravens, that that defense was beginning to look old and slow and and I think we saw a few signs of that against Houston, who's a very good football team. We can't dismiss the fact that it was against a good team but and, and the fact that they were on the road and that is a factor as well, but I think, again, now, it's two out of four weeks, we've seen some signs that maybe the Steeler defense is showing a little bit of its age.
1: Well, you know, Brian, when you think about the Steelers defense, you think about their ability to really rush the passer, uh, stuff the run, and then take the football away. And they are minus 10 in the turnover ratio category this year, and they have not taken the ball away one time on defense. Now, if that's a sign of being older and slower, I don't know, but it very well could be because we both know the margin of success and failure in this league is so minute. And in the past, maybe they just had that little extra spring in their step or speed in their gait to make a play that now they're not able to make.
0: Well, we, last year we introduced fans to, to the ratio of turnovers and explosives, than differential. We called it a toxic rating. And we're a little early to pull those numbers out because you need about a half a season's worth sure. of numbers. But remember last year, the Steelers led the league in that toxic rating of, we're talking about the differential between turno- getting turnovers and turning the ball over and generating big plays. And, uh, and not allowing big plays, and you're exactly right. The turnover ratio in and of itself, that combination made them lethal and took them to the Super Bowl last year. Right now, and I, unless it changes dramatically, even if it doesn't, as we get to the center part of the season and here on the podcast and on the coach show, we'll start talking about that differential. They're, they're not going to be on that same end of the curve as they were last year.
1: No, I mean, Brian, they're minus 10 yeah. after four weeks. I mean, that really, to me, is incredible, and I think that tells the story of their inconsistency and it very well could tell the story of the their age on defense you know are they just not able to make those plays i think a great example was last week when Shane Paul was coming off the edge and he went for the handoff he tried to make that play swatting the handoff away and he didn't get it and maybe he would have got that last year the year before you know so i think they're they're still a very good football no team question you know we we like their toughness uh, we love their their head coach. Uh, we love their mindset, uh, but there are some concerns.
0: All right, let's let's talk about uh and I and I gotta uh, I'll I'll bring it up because a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the Cowboys and Tony Romo, you and I went round around a little bit. You asked some questions about Tony Romo. I think he he has the abilities as you do to be an elite quarterback. He's not there. Well, i got to begin to backpedal a little bit. I'm a little concerned about some of the decisions I saw last week uh, and also the fact that, that uh, I think the play calling, uh, I think Jason Garrett needs to look at what he's asking Tony Romo to do when you're up on the Detroit Lions the way you were. But, but uh, i gotta, I got to uh, uh, bend over and take my licks <laughs> from you on this one a little bit.
1: Well, look, I, I like Tony Romo. I think he's a very skilled player and he puts up great numbers but here here's my issue you know i i, I understand they're america's team and we're all infatuated with them but they need to for me they need to do something You're this right. is this is to me this is a this is just another very very average organization in the national football league
0: yeah and i think that's a legitimate observation It was interesting uh, they've showed us a a tweet from Dirk nowinski to tony romo it says uh Dear Tony Romo, don't worry about all the critics. I've heard that same garbage for a long time. Keep working hard and keep improving. The difference right now is navinsky has got a, a championship right. ring, so it's easy for him to say that right now. But I, I agree with you. I, you know, it is it is the nature of it. They are America's team. Dallas is always going to be in the forefront because it is the NFC East. But you're right. There are a lot of other teams that. Uh, Uh, You know, right now they're in the category of the St. Louis Rams and and, and some of these other teams that that aren't very good right now. All right, let's talk about a good team, the Detroit Lions, you know, and and, uh, I made the comment that for them, notwithstanding whether Dallas is good or not, if they could go into Dallas, America's team, on the road and get a win, that would be the legitimizing game for them. The fact that they did it coming back the way they did, that, to me, just shot that this this is as legitimate a team as we have in the NFL right
1: well, now. Well, you know you and I had talked before coming on the air, and they're so complete as a team. And, and really, I think if you look at the organization from the top down, they're all in sync with who they want to be and how they want to get to being who they are. And they draft the correct way. They draft the right players for their scheme. Uh, They've got an excellent coaching staff. They've got a a, a head coach who's doing a tremendous job. They've got coordinators on both sides of the ball that are very experienced in this league. They know how to make adjustments. If their personnel changes, whether by injury or because they bring someone new into the organization, they understand how how to adjust their schemes to fit that guy's talents. Uh, They're just doing a lot of things well and, and they
0: had a plan and they, you're exactly right they stat martin mayhew and jim schwartz have done a great job defensively with gunther cunningham as the defensive coordinator everybody talked about their front seven they're a complete defense and now you bring fairly back into the equation you put him in the middle with Indominus. Sue. when we won our championship you know we had a lot of talents we had rod woodson we had ray lewis obviously you got uh, uh guys coming off the edge in terms of peter Bower and and uh Michael McCrary, but we had Sam Adams and Tony Saragusa on the inside. You just weren't going to run on the inside. That's a great place to start. If Fairley can come back and stay healthy for Detroit, that's an impressive group. And then offensively, Scott uh, Lenahan, who is one of the accomplished veteran coordinators in this league, they had a plan, the two tight end offense that they like. They've got Java best in terms of and, – and the big thing, obviously, Matthew Stafford's for real. I had questions about his accuracy coming out. They have belied those. He is is accurate. He's in control. He knows how to manage a game. He has stayed healthy, which is huge. This is a complete team. And who cannot feel good for the Detroit Lions? I don't care if you're a Green Bay Packer fan or Chicago fan and you always hate the teams that they're playing You've got to feel good with all the Detroit's been through. Who can't feel good for the fact the Detroit Lions are pretty good right
1: now? Uh, Mike McCarthy, he doesn't feel real yeah, good about right. him. Yeah. Lovey Smith, he doesn't <laughs> feel answer. real good about good him. <laughs> Leslie Frazier, he doesn't feel real good about him. But the rest of us do because it's fun, you know, when you've been in this league for as long as you and I have, to see a team that says, hey, this is our plan. We're going to stick to our plan. And then that plan works, and especially a team that's been down for so long. And rather than spending time talking about the Dallas Cowboys, it's fun to spend time talking about a team that, that you know, as an organization, they're solid, they work together well, they're a veteran, they trust each other, and it's fun to see them have some su- uh, some success. Now, let me ask
0: you, as a head coach, they're in a different spot right now. I always worried about Detroit when they hit advi- adversity because for ten years you you had a, a bunch of guys on your team that had never had success. Right. So. When adversity hit, where was the reference frame to say, okay, we're okay, we can get past that? Well, they've done that now. They've gotten over some humps. They've gotten over from being behind. All right, they're on top of the heap right now. As a head coach, how would you approach keeping your guys, okay, wait a minute now, let's don't get too fu- How do you keep them from getting too carried away with themselves?
1: Well, that, <laughs> I don't know that that'll be a big problem in Detroit. Uh, they seem pretty grounded. And if you've ever been around Gunther Cunningham, oh, yeah. you know, he's not going to let anybody get <laughs> get out of their lane. Uh, I think that it's great that they've been able to overcome adversity the last two weeks and win when coming from behind. But I also think at the same time as a coaching staff, you you show them, we talked about this last week, the problems that they've they've had that got them in the holes that they've gotten into. And I just think they're very focused right now. I think that uh, they're all on the same page as an organization, as players, as a coaching staff. And, uh, I mean, they're going to hit a bump in the road. Oh, you know? absolutely. I mean, you know, they're not going to go 16-0, and or they probably aren't going to go 16-0. and but I kind of feel like they're equipped right now to handle anything.
0: You know, and that's interesting. You'd bring that up because we've both been on some pretty good teams, and, and you're right. From a clinical, pragmatic standpoint, no, you can't go sixteen and zero. But each week, can you look at the team you're playing and saying, "Can we beat this team?" Mm-hmm. Yes, you can. Which at the end then means you could be sixteen and zero, and and grasping or embracing that mentality. The great thing about winning is as a coach, it's a great teaching environment because now they're feeling good. So I can go in and just rip their behinds and going, do you know how lucky we are? Do you know how many ways we lost that game the other day? Let's look at those. because you And they'll take it because they're feeling pretty good about themselves. It's a great teaching environment.
1: Well, they're young and they have high character and they're having some success. And like you said, there are things that they can do better and I do agree with you. When you look at the season, you say, my goodness, it's 16 weeks. How are we going to win all those games? I've always tried to break it down into a one-game proposition. All right. We just want this week, let's just be 1-0. and All right. Let's not worry about last week or next week or week 15 or 16. Let's just take care of what we can take care of this week, and let's get to 1-0 and this week. And I think the Lions have that mindset, and I think it's benefiting them.
0: Okay. Let's, let's talk about, and I think a great hook for Jim Schwartz and the Detroit Lions is to say, oh, by the way, see who we're chasing? Huh. See that team in the division that we're tied with at 4-0, the Green Bay Packers, the reigning Super Bowl champs? Let's don't get too far ourselves because that team looks pretty good.
1: Wow. They are they are so complete. And, and I've said this uh, a couple of times, and people have looked at me kind of funny, but in my opinion, Aaron Rodgers is playing his position as well as any other player in professional sports is playing their position. I'm talking about tennis. You know, someone brought up, well, how can you say that when – Uh, Roger Federer or whoever the great tennis player, how can you say that about Aaron Aaron Rodgers? Because in my opinion, he is performing at his position, the things that he's asked to do as well as anybody in all of sports is doing.
0: And and it's interesting that you would bring – I'm a big tennis fan, as you know. Federer is an excellent name to bring brought up because the thing that impressed me about Roger Federer – He can be down in a situation. You get that sense. There's a confidence. There's a steely-eyed calm about him that right when you get to where you think you can put him away, he's going to jerk it away from you. And you're exactly right. Aaron Rodgers has a calm about him. He's passionate. He's energetic. He's not that glassy-eyed, hey, I'm bored, or I know. But there is a focus on his part. He knows exactly where he wants everybody and what he's going to do when they get there. And then obviously defensively. That's that's the dilemma when you play, for me, a Green Bay Packer team, is you can play well, and you can try to orchestrate a game plan, but you know it's going to be a track meet, and, and do that does that force you out of your personality? I want to run the ball. I want to play good, balanced offense, defense, but I don't know if that formula can beat the Green Bay Packers.
1: Yeah, you, know, you don't know if you can keep up with them. I mean, you know you can't trade field goals for touchdowns with that team, and so sometimes you have to do some things that typically would be against what your personality is. Going back to Aaron Rodgers and, you know, just keep pounding this, you talked about, you know, that look on his face. He's always pregame kind of got that little grin on his face. Like, you know, I got it all figured out. And uh, when you watch him in a game, regardless of what's happening, he's unflappable. You know, he's just so confident, and uh, he has such a great command of what they're trying to do offensively, has a great command of how teams are trying to attack him defensively. He's a great decision maker. It's almost like he's playing the game at a different speed than everybody else. Like when he looks at a defense, it's almost in slow motion for him in his ability to make the great decisions. Well
0: and Aaron's a Bay Area guy and I know we both know that, that Joe Montana, like mm-hmm. so
1: many young kids, you
0: know, that that was his idol. And and that's I think it's a fair um, analogy because unlike a Peyton Manning and a Tom Brady, who have their own personalities and the way they get after the team, uh, much like Joe Montana, Joe was not very verbal outwardly. He could push his guys, but you never saw him getting after his guys, but he did. He did it in his way, and he has a little bit of that Montana-esque, look, these guys know what I'm demanding of them. They know I am going to be demanding of them. I don't have to embarrass them. I don't have to show them up. Uh, what you see on the outside is different than the way we are in the inside. That's
1: a great comparison. I mean, y- you know, if you if you think about the history of the league and who you'd compare this guy to, it it certainly is Joe Montana. Now, he needs to win a couple more Super Bowls, three yeah. to be exact, but he looks like the kind of guy that can get that done.
0: Let's talk about another team that everybody has kind of wanted to jump on the bandwagon for a while, but you wait for the other shoe to drop. I think the other shoe has dropped. The Houston Texans are for real, I think. I, I made the comment – two weeks ago, that coming up to the – they had the New Orleans Saints on the road and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And if they could split with with those two teams, get one win, that to me kind of would legitimize the Houston Texans, and that's exactly what they did in beating Pittsburgh.
1: I kind of think they're a little bit like the, the Texans – I'm sorry, Detroit, in that they've had a plan as an organization, and they followed that plan, and now it's starting to pay dividends for them. Uh, they haven't panicked. They didn't fire their coach when a lot of people wanted them to fire Gary Kubiak. They said, no, we like – his personality we like his style we like his plan we like what he's trying to get done we believe in him and I think it's paying dividends for them now they brought in Wade Phillips who's doing an excellent job with their defense we know that that was kind of their problem in the past and now all of a sudden they're playing really pretty darn good defense taking the ball away pressure in the passer a lot more solid on the back end we know they've been able to move the football they've been able to move the football with Matt Schaub and and Andre Johnson and uh And uh, the running back, uh, Arian Foster. Foster, That's what impresses me is that they
0: can, whatever way we need to win, a lot of teams will say that, but at the end of the day, they have to throw it. If they need Schaub to throw for three fifty, he can do that. Yep. He's got all those guys you mentioned. If we can and need to run, I got both Tate. I got both. Five, we'll do that. I mean, Matt Schaub was was fourteen and twenty one for one hundred and thirty eight. But that's all he needed yeah, to beat yeah, the Pittsburgh. So that's Steelers. a
1: typical quarter for him, right? You know, and then he, and when when Andre went out, he started going to Owen Daniels. You know, so that's a guy that that no one talks about very often, but. Uh, now I think they're, they've become a real complete team, and quietly they've become very confident. And I think it's because they've stuck to their plan. They didn't panic as an organization. They liked the direction they were headed, even though they were under some pressure. And I think it's paying off for them. All
0: right, let's talk about some teams that oddly at 3-1 at and one are under the radar. Um, the biggest surprise to me is the Tennessee Titans. Uh, we, just, we talked earlier about – them having a team that you bring in a veteran quarterback, and they have, you know, after Baltimore, I think we kind of dismissed it while well, Baltimore was down. Tennessee, and and you got to give a lot of credit to Matt Hasselbeck. He, it's like he's been there forever now. This is this is a team worth watching.
1: They are absolutely worth watching. And you know what, Brian? They've gotten a three and one, really, without two of their most exciting and explosive players, CJ two K, who might hopefully he's like CJ one K at least this year, <laughs> and Kenny Britt and. Matt, it, it kind of all starts with Matt. And, uh, you know, I know Matt well. And uh, spent some time with him in the off season. We're neighbors. And he said to me, he said, no, no matter where I go, they're going to get my very best. He goes, I am absolutely going to dedicate myself to being the very best player that I can possibly be this season. He said he knows it's getting towards the end for him. He's always been a real professional. He's always studied hard. He's always done the little things. But he said, "I'm going to do more." He says, "I'm just going to." He said, "I'm going to go for it." I'm just really going to go for it. I'm gonna, my family's going to stay in Seattle, and I'm going to give everything I got to being the best player I can be. And boy, he is really doing a heck of a job, and I commend him for that. I think there's probably uh, a lot of people around the league that said, "Darn it, we wish we could have gotten this Matt Hasselback guy. He's not bad after all."
0: Well, can you and and not that Tennessee's not a legitimate team? They are, but can you imagine there are some teams around the league that that veteran presence? Uh, what a difference that will make. You can't help but admire what he has done. And you're right, the upside for this when, when C.J. comes back, oh. this, could, this could be huge. And he's coming back. We oh, know yeah, absolutely. we
1: know that he is going to get up to speed and he is going to be a great player at some point this year.
0: And Matt Hasselback is one that will embrace that and says, fine, yeah. if I turn around and hand it off 40 times to him, my life just got real, real good. The other one that's kind of scary, if for no other reason because of their history, a 3-1 San Diego team, where you can say, well, they're a good team and they've got some good players. But being three and one this early in the season, that's just not their mo. It could get scary how good this team could be going down.
1: Yeah, and it's funny that you know when we're talking about teams that no one's talking about, no one's talking about the San Diego Chargers. We always talk at this point in the season that they're either one and three or two and two, or they're struggling. And how are they going to overcome this hole they've dug themselves into? And then they over they overcome it, and now they're sitting at three and one, a quarter of the way into the season. Granted, they haven't beaten a great team yet or even a really good team yet, but still, Brian, they're 3-1, they're building momentum, and I'm excited about the direction they're headed. Yeah, the interesting f- thing for them going forward for me, you
0: know, now they've got a bit of a road stand here, the, the, the three-game road stand that's going to test them a little bit. That includes uh, they're going to play Denver and Kansas City, which in and of itself you, you're thinking, okay, how tough can that be? But the fact that it's on the road, if they can beat Denver and Kansas City in those locations, they can kind of put an early cap on the division. They got a long, long to play, but uh, if I'm not mistaken, they're also going to play the New York Jets, and that's the one that is going to be very interesting
1: to me. That that'll be tough. No, they've got it, and, and don't forget now the Raiders have, you know, proven to be a pretty uh, sturdy foe as well this year. So, but at least they're sitting at three and one early in the season, and uh, we know they're an outstandingly talented team on offense. Um, we, we both like Phillip Rivers and what he's able to do. Their defense is playing well. I like that they're going about it kind of under the radar, you know, because uh, I like the fact that we're not talking about them. And we'll see when they when they go up against well, the Jets. Well, the they got the bye. They
0: play the Jets. And then in the division, I guess my point is with the three games, they may be vying with the Jets, whether not necessarily wild card, but in terms of, they may see that team again. And the fact that it could be a now in San Diego, that could be a big plus if they can put a couple of road games. We always talk about how difficult it is to win on the road. Yeah. They're going to have to mm-hmm. hold serve when they play, play at home against these teams. Um, but to put that, those road wins in the win column, the next three weeks could be substantial for San Diego at a time when they st- tend to start getting hot.
1: Yeah, you're right. That's money in the bank that you can draw on later. And, uh, and I think that they've got the mindset to be able to go on the road and win those games. I really do. I think, you know, I, I did a, their first game of the year, and there was a resolve about them. And they weren't being boisterous. Uh, they weren't real outspoken about it. But they felt internally like they had a really good football team. And they felt like if they could get off to the to a good start and just do their work, uh, that they would end up, being a really good football team that people will talk about at the end of the season.
0: The biggest surprise for me, and it's not because of who's involved and how good they are, but it's the fact that the New Orleans Saints at three and one. Absolutely nobody here. Drew Brees, the New Orleans Saints, Super Bowl champs from two years ago nobody's talking about them. We're talking about Aaron Rodgers. We're talking about Tom Brady. We're talking about Cam Newton talking about Houston deservedly slow about Detroit. And they're just quietly going about their business and beating people down in New Orleans.
1: Isn't it amazing how we've kind of, they've kind of flown under the radar. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Tampa's made some noise in that division. So people are kind of hot on Tampa and and Tampa, the young group as they're calling themselves. But, uh, Boy, don't discount Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints. And you're right. You know, when when I look at the top quarterbacks in the league, Drew Brees, uh, Peyton Manning, although he's not playing, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, you know, give me any of those guys. And I I love Drew Brees. To me, Drew Brees is so comparable to Aaron Rodgers, and yet Aaron Rodgers is getting all the hype. Right.
0: What I like about... Uh, New Orleans right now, uh, Jimmy Graham, the tight end, is really coming on. He had 10 receptions for 132 yards. They're back to running the ball like they did in the championship year, getting Ingram in the draft I think was huge to where Sean Payton can have confidence in sticking with the run game when he needs to. Now, the one qualifier like last year as opposed to 2009, we always talk about turnover differential. He is still throwing some interceptions. So that's the one qualifier I'm going to throw out there that he he needs to – that needs to get back under control. If indeed they're going to parlay this into a, into a a championship year. Uh, Let's talk about a play. Everybody's talking about it in in the New York giant Arizona game. When Victor Cruz quote unquote gave himself up. Uh, And a lot of people need that explained, I guess let's, let's start with the rule that says a player in the open field, much like a quarterback sliding can give himself up. First off, you're given some protection there. People can't just light you up if you give yourself up as a a receiver or a quarterback. And let's talk about, as coaches, every week you talk about to your players that, look, if we're in a situation where the time dictates, a field goal can win it for us would be a big factor, and you can't get in the end zone, give yourself up so we can get up and give ourselves time. You know, that is something that you work at as a team that's not what happened in the New York-Arizona game.
1: No, I mean, you practice that situation, but it's usually pretty darn evident when a guy's going to give himself up. I mean, he's going to go down, he's going to cover up the ball, he's going to get in the fetal position, or he's going to take a knee and sit there. Victor Cruz didn't give himself up. He tripped, all right? And I think it's telling that after the game, his comments were, you know, why did you set the ball down? Well, I thought I was touched. Okay, he didn't talk at all about – hey, I gave myself up. And then the quarterback, Eli, comes out and says, you know, we got away with one there. So uh, it is something you practice. But you know, remember now, Brian, there was still a little – there was more than two minutes left in that game. All right, You don't give yourself right. up unless it's nearing the end of the game, like within the last few right. seconds of a game. The so, scenario
0: for giving thing. yourself up is you're inside of, say, 30 seconds. You need a field goal to win it or tie it. You've got the ball in the open field, and you tell your receivers, if you can't get out of bounds or you can't score, now give yourself up. And that's – you know, I've been doing that for 30 years, Jim. I've, it's never come up with me. I've never – where it actually showed up in a game.
1: Well, we had it uh, – we've always worked on it. And this was when I was in San Francisco, and Mooch was the head coach. And, and we had a situation against the Rams where we had worked on it, we hadn't worked on it for a couple of weeks. We had a rookie receiver catch a ball across the middle, and he's running, he's running. We're all yelling, go down, go down, give yourself up. And he didn't do it, and it ended up costing us the game. So we obviously made sure that we reviewed it every week instead of every few weeks. But uh, I've never been in a situation where a guy's given themselves up and it's turned out in a positive, uh, for, in a positive way for our team. But the, I think <laughs> it's ludicrous to think, that Victor Cruz was giving himself up. I mean, both by his actions on the field and then his reactions after the game when the media asked him about it. it.
0: Is it coincidence that last week we were talking about the New York Giant defense that was feigning injury for <laughs> clock management, and now uh, we're talking about an offensive guy. Tom Coughlin is doing maybe way too good a job coaching this football
1: he, team. You know, he is doing an outstanding job, especially you know coming back the way they have after a tough start and – no one ever gives Tom Coughlin enough credit. I mean, you know, we they, it seems like whenever we see him on the sidelines, he's got a grimace on his face or is he reacting to a certain thing. But this guy, is he's one of the fine football coaches in this league.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go on just a little mini rant here before we finish up with a couple games, Jim. I don't know if you haven't seen Moneyball yet. You need to. It's a fabulous movie. Billy Bean, that whole concept. But I got to tell you, when the book came out, now with the movie, I can't tell you how many times people asked me, well, can you do that in football? Let's make it very clear. You can't. You're talking about 162 games, a game dictated by statistics of the pitcher and the batter, the role players, what you can get out of it. In the NFL, you're talking 16 games, 22 bodies on the field at a given time. It's not a statistically-driven game. I loved Brad Pitt in the movie. I loved what... Billy Bean did with uh, uh, you know uh, Oakland, and it's all you could do when you're talking about. We don't have the discrepancy in the NFL of one, you know, one payroll's 150 million, the others. Th- 50 million or 30 or 40 million. We don't have that in the NFL. So, all those people that want to come up, hey, I love it. Sure, come up, say hello, but quit asking me if you can do moneyball in the NFL.
1: Well, I need to see the movie. But, uh, you know, the little I do know about what Billy Bean did with the A's and the comparisons to the NFL, there really are no comparisons. This is a, the ultimate team sport. Baseball is a team sport, but it's not, you're not depending as much on the other people around you as you are in football.
0: Okay, let's do a quick rift on some of these teams. Uh, Real quick, New York at New England. The Jets going in New England. Well,
1: (laughs) that's going to be the game of the week, the one I want to watch, and uh, I'm going to take New England in that one.
0: Yeah, like we said, I'm not sure. We'll see. Can Mark Sanchez keep up? Uh, You're not going to stop Tom Brady, but can he keep up with Tom Brady? I'm not sure he can.
1: Now, before you go on. Let's give Rex a little credit here because if there's anybody in yep. this league that's capable of rallying his team behind a theme of, you know, it's us against them, everyone thinks we're done, we played lousy and, and can push the right buttons to get his team ready to go into New England and win, I think it's Rex Ryan.
0: Yeah, I, I, I would not disagree with you at all. Interesting game. Green Bay at Atlanta, we've seen this before. I did the Green Bay-Atlanta game during the regular season last year. The postseason, obviously a different situation. Atlanta is very good at home. I don't know if they're really playing well enough yet to hold off the Green Bay Packers.
1: Well, they just escaped with a win in Seattle yesterday, you know, by the hair on their chinny-chin-chin, chin. and Green Bay has so many weapons offensively, and we saw what happened in the playoffs last year, and I don't know that the Falcons have upgraded their defense enough yet to personnel-wise to stay with Green Bay.
0: They need to be in a lot more sync offensively to keep up with Aaron Rodgers and that group. Game I have for Fox, Philly at Buffalo. You know what? We've already talked a great deal about uh, Philly, Buffalo, a surprising loss to Cincinnati. I think Philly gets it if for no other reason. Forget the strategies, the X and O. They have to have this game. They absolutely have to have it.
1: Hi. <laughs> look. When I did the Philadelphia San Francisco game this past weekend, and Mike Vick told me, he says, "Jim, this is a must." Win game. We have to win this game against the San Francisco 49ers. Now they're going into Buffalo, a team who can really move the ball on offense in a must win situation. And unfortunately, after watching the Eagles play defense and their style of play and the the passion or lack of passion they're playing with, I I don't think they can get it done, Brian.
0: You're probably right. Again, I'm hanging my hat on the fact that that they have to win they just have to you're
1: getting emotional on i you.
0: am getting emotional on you and chicago at detroit i had the chicago game i love the way they ran the ball i don't think they'll do it two weeks in a go because in a row because i don't think they're going to be able to run the ball against detroit i think mike martz will bail on it uh, i think detroit is strong enough complete enough team at home i think detroit wins at home
1: i do too i think detroit's defense is uh, outstanding. I mean, can you imagine what the atmosphere is going to be like in that stadium? I mean, they haven't had a game like this in years. And I think that the Detroit Lions will feed off of it. I think they've got the things going in the right direction. They've got great confidence. And yet they're still grounded enough to understand that, you know, they haven't got it all figured out yet.
0: Well, before we wrap up, Jim, uh, with a heavy heart, you and I have to acknowledge the loss of, of one of our own Mike Hammerdinger past uh, after a bout with cancer. We both know Mike. Uh, our sympathies obviously go out to his family. Mike uh, was one of the good people in this league.
1: He absolutely was, and we both competed against him a lot. I was a defensive coordinator competing against him as an offensive coordinator, and he always you know, gave you problems with his strategical moves. But you know, more than that, he was, just a, he was a good man. Yeah. You know, he was a good person. He respected the game. He respected the people in the game, and uh, we'll all miss him.
0: Well, we could go on with these topics all day long, but there is even a finite time to even on the Internet. So remember, you can be with us every week on the NFL.com slash podcast or download the show on iTunes.